Well, Brent is gay and Kaylin's gay and Clark is gay and Ryan's gay and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Welcome to our second Homo Superior Creator Crush. I'm Adam and joining me is our eldest and wisest Homo Superior, Kaylin. Hi, Kaylin. Hi. <laughs> Lovely middle finger. Creator Crush is an interview series where we chat with our favorite comic book creators, learning more about their work, their thoughts on the industry, and what makes them so darn special. Our guest today is an amazing queer writer that we've had the pleasure of meeting at San Diego Comic-Con late last year, David Boer. Hello, David. Hey, thanks for having me. I definitely thought your theme song was going to be, thank you for being X-Men. No? <laughs> it's, that's so much better than our current theme song. David, can we just pay you royalties now? We don't have any money, but, Come you know, on. we'll just, yeah. All right. It just it takes just... off from there. There we go. I thought yeah. I'd retire writing comics, but it's just royalties based on your theme song. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think about, have you ever seen the um, like cartoon version of the old like DC cartoons where they do the Golden Girls intro of like, uh, yeah, like I just, now I'm like, now these things are just like blowing up. So I think we've got a good opportunity to really, well, you've got a good opportunity. To but it's like, <laughs> it's like Cyclops and Jean Grey and Wolverine. <laughs> And and who's the fourth? Probably Emma, uh, right? Emma is the Frost. fourth. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. They're basically they're basically a thruple, and Emma kind of just kind of comes in when she <laughs> feels the, like it. She's the Sophia, obviously. Uh -oh. mm. I love that. Well, I love if, it. <laughs> uh, if you didn't know about David, he's a writer and co-creator of the all ages fantasy series Kanto, published by IDW. The Definitely Not All Ages and Very Campy Killer Queens, published by Dark Horse. Also, he recently started Rain, an image miniseries adapting Joe Hill's horror story. If you haven't read any of those, turn off this podcast, go read them, come back and listen to this. David, welcome, fully welcome to Homo Superior. Uh, please tell us more about the wonderful life that you're leading so far. Oh my gosh, it's fabulous. This room that I'm sitting in right now, I literally never leave it, so... <laughs> That's why I surround myself with nerd stuff, books, whatever. Now it's um, it is it is it's it's a wonderful life, as they say. Uh, the big thing that happened for me in 2021 is that I was a practicing attorney, and on September 30th of 2021 was my very last day of practicing law, and I transitioned to writing full time, and I am terrified and, and elated to say that I went inactive with the California bar, which is like the step you take when you no longer are practicing law. And so, you know, from September 30th to February 1st, it was kind of like, I, I'm not practicing, <laughs> but you know what? I'm still, I'm still active. And then February 1st comes around and that's like crunch time. That's like decision time. Mm -hmm. And so that happens. Um, I, you know, collapsed in defeat, but here I am. Here I am. <laughs> well, and, and reading your work, I think you've made a really good decision because your collect your exponentially growing collection of work is just absolutely incredible so far. Kayla and I have been taking a lot of uh, eyes on over time, and I'd love to dive in to start talking about it. So, Kayla, why don't you take it away? Sure. And so, uh, you know, when we promoted uh, our conversation earlier this week on social media, we asked our followers, um, hey, do you have any questions for the amazing David Boer? David, thank you so much for the signal boost. 
And I think it was mostly your friends who wanted to like ask you questions. Tim. So the, Tim yes, Sheridan. Tim. Why is why is Tim so wonderful? And why does everybody love Tim? And Tim, 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 question mark, Tim, Tim. Um, I love Tim Sheridan. If you don't know who he is, you gotta go pick up his work. He's on uh, he writes Teen Titans Academy and He-Man, um, Masters of the Universe, uh, comic adaptation, and he writes on the show. Uh, just a wonderful queer writer who has just, you know, grown leaps and bounds in the comics industry in just the last year. Um, so we're sort of tongue in cheek because Tim put a really funny comment about why is why is Tim so wonderful? Ask David why. And I think he threw in an actual question, but I don't remember what that was. I was too dazzled by Tim. Well, it's this is a perfect segue because it was act the actual question, not just why he's so wonderful, <laughs> because we're sure he is. But the question is, you know, obviously you transitioned uh, from being an attorney to writing comic books, which is great for us. But was there like a book or a comic or a, a movie that like maybe served as a catalyst where you were like, oh, wait, I love this and I really want to be able to do this? It was such an interesting question because I don't know if I can pinpoint one single thing. I grew up reading Stephen King. I loved the fantasy movies like um, A Neverending Story, Return mm -hmm. to Oz, um, Secret of Nim, those those 80s and you know early 90s uh, movies that just, you know, they always stuck with me. And you can see that come out in Canto. Um, it's kind of a... a sort of a darker all ages fairy tale uh, that has its origins in like the Dark Crystal and Wizard of Oz, Return to Oz, that sort of thing. Uh, so those sort of, all those influences sort of go in together and it's, you stir it up and who knows what's gonna pop out. Um, but uh, I would say the reason, the inspiration to write, I've always been creative, but my first job was at a law firm and it was pretty, uh, after I graduated law school, and it was really the grind. It was really the grind. And it's everything that everybody tells you about, multiply that by 10, 50. So I think I started to write as escapism. And as I've continued to write, I've sort of recaptured some of that feeling I got as a kid experiencing stories. So getting to produce stories and put stories out in the world are sort of recapturing that imagination that I feel like slowly slips away as you get older to the point where mm -hmm. you don't even notice until it's gone and then you're in your you're, you're in your 30s and 40s and you're like trying to recapture all this nostalgia so stop talking that's... about my life David how dare you <laughs> oh welcome <laughs> welcome you wouldn't believe how many I go on to Oh, the, well, this is too much information, but I go onto YouTube and they have like full four hour blocks of like yesterday, 90s Nickelodeon and they have the commercials in there and everything. And I'm just like, I just have it on the background because I want to see all the 80s commercials that mm -hmm. I remember when I was seven and eight years old. So that's like I'm one of my... a nostalgia hound too. So Adam. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is actually go back and look at old commercials. I don't know if you... Uh have Disney Plus, but there's not a great discovery show that's hosted by Rob Lowe, but it's very addictive. It's like top 10, where it's like top 10 80s commercials, top 10 80s fast food items, oh. top 10 80s shows. It's just kind of, it's definitely Rob, who's a very good actor, just collecting a paycheck because he's in this like 
gorgeous house that looks like Troy McClure's house from The Simpsons. Um, but he's just there and like he's just lounging around and some woman is narrating like all these like wonderful things, but um, like the Grey Poupon commercial, the Apple commercial from the 80s. But then a lot of the the, the stuff that you talked about, the, a lot of the influences uh, uh, from the 80s and even early 90s, like definitely sort of plays into that show. But why don't we just kind of go into your work? And I think, uh, you know, Kanto, uh, I personally loved it. Um, it did remind me a lot of Return of the Oz, which I think is a very underrated movie. And then when I read the afterword after the first volume, and you mentioned Return to, uh, Return to Oz, I was like, oh my God, completely. Like this, like yeah. I got this completely, even though it's its own original work. So I'm gonna turn it over to Adam to talk a little bit about some of the, uh, some of the questions we got. Yeah, well, so, Particularly, we've kind of been talking about this like family fantasy series for folks living under a rock. What's your elevator pitch on why people should be reading Kanto? Well, I have ready to be dazzled, right? <laughs> um, so it's it's a story about a little clockwork knight in search of a heart. His people have been enslaved and they're not allowed to uh, have names. They're not allowed to care for one another. Their hearts have been taken and replaced with clocks. And when their time is up, that's it. But Kanto, he defies all of that. He has a name. He's in love with a little clockwork girl. And when her clock gets damaged beyond repair, he's got to go out in a great big fantastical world full of monsters he's never, he doesn't know about and bring and find where they take their hearts and bring hers back to save her. So I like to say it's part fantasy, part adventure, and all heart. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I, I mean, it's really expanded quite over time, which is why when you said exactly when you left your, you know, to pursue writing full time, I was stunned that you had been producing all this work while not doing it in a full time manner, because there's Kanto, Kanto 2, Kanto 3 that just started at Lionhearted, you have the spinoffs for City of Giants, Kanto's turning into your Game of Thrones. How are you approaching this series to make sure it's not like season seven or eight or doesn't get finished at all? <laughs> it's definitely not going to be season eight. Although it's, um, no, it's, it, you know, it started out as its own book and uh, we had ideas about where the story arcs were going to go. Um, and we didn't know when it was going to be released, if we were going to get beyond volume one, you never know. Mm -hmm. So um, we had sort of, we were satisfied, I would say, with that first volume, but we had these stories ready to go in the chamber. And when it really took off and people really started to enjoy it, um, we had the opportunity to kind of keep going with it. So originally it was three volumes and now it's um, four. Plus we did the City of Giants, which was a three issue mini series. We're doing another mini series uh, for two issues coming in um, 2022 before we do the final arc. Um, yeah, and we, we, you know, it was big influence was uh, Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. And so I like to call the story cycle. Uh, the first volume is uh, If I Only Had a Heart, which was inspired by the Tin Man. And then the second one is The Hollow Men, which is a reference to a T.S. Eliot poem that refers to scarecrows. Uh, the third one's Lionhearted, which refers to the cowardly lion. And then the fourth one is A Place Like Home. So mm -hmm. we're really going full circle with the with the inspiration um but you know our own our own story our own adventure our own characters sort of taking that inspiration and when you, uh playing when you it. said when you said you had the whole story kind of did you already have like the four kind of volumes in mind like before you even launched the first one or was it this was like always an a to z this is what you wanted to do if you got the opportunity to 
Yeah, so we already had it, we always had it planned out what um, where we wanted to ultimately go with it, and it was kind of a it was a loose outline. So, but you know, paragraph per mm-hmm. volume, but we knew where the story was going to go from one until the very end. We knew where it was going to end um, all all the time. Originally, it started as planned out as three arcs, and then with the success, we were able to break it out into four arcs. And which was really exciting because Lionhearted was going to look a little different uh, when we first started out. And it, we were able to sort of expand on that and do this whole thing between Kanto's former slavers and the Furies and sort of this, this development of these characters. Because I'm such a huge believer that any character that appears in your story can always sort of come back and you can always mine them for more story. And I think like you just mentioned Game of Thrones is a great example about how if you get given enough time and storytelling space, you can make every character interesting, compelling, three-dimensional. Um, often you don't have the opportunity to do that. So in volume one of Canto, we have slavers and all you really see of them is just, you know, cracking the whips for Canto and his people. And by Lionhearted, you see that there is a depth to them and a tragedy to them that is all their own and you see them sort of you see their full arc from the start till now and you're going to see that uh play out in kento 4. it's yeah i gotta say it's a very beautiful fantasy onion i think is what we're <laughs> it sounds like you're saying it's like and it's great it's like the peeling back is i just enjoyed every time i originally read the first book, not even realizing there were additional volumes. I was like, oh, okay, let's do this. And just subsequently, each one has really, uh, I really found myself enjoying the world building you all do um, is great. And again, obviously like, yeah, has that great spiritual successor or spinoff or like a different type of Oz feel, but like it has the right plays, I feel like, and sort of like tweaks on certain character types and certain like execution steps. And just, you know, it's just been great. Is there a particular character within Kanto that you feel like you resonate with the most? Um, I love the Malarex. It's kind of like Canto and the Malarex or our Calvin and Hobbes mm-hmm. uh, relationship. Um, and I really like, I, I mean, I love Canto, obviously, and that's the obvious answer. Um, but I kind of like uh, Alora is great too, the warrior who she's sort of gone through her own transformation where she's tried, she's tried to do what Kanto's done and she's felt like she's failed and Kanto has lifted her and has helped her. And so I think she, they, they've built such a strong bond between the two of them that they're kind of lifting each other up and you see that sort of back and forth where she's down, Kanto helps her. When he's down or he doubts himself, she, she picks him back up and says, you know, keep going, let's keep going. Um, so that was a really beautiful uh, friendship that blossomed, particularly in, in Canto 2, mm-hmm. when a lot of what he did was to help her people. Um, and you're going to see that, that they're going to really give a lot to help each other in Canto 4. Uh, I'm a little upset you didn't say that it was Ba and Fra, because those are my two favorite. From <laughs> Do you know where He's... the names came from? No. <laughs> Where? <laughs> so, L. Frank Baum, Bra and Ba. 
Oh, right? love it. Love it. It's, yeah, for Where those that don't know, these are giants that are basically feel very married couple, at least in my mind. And yeah. it's just like a constant stepping over each Bicker. other in terms of time. Exactly. Great, great bickering couple. Really good. So it's such an itch. It's such a you talk about an onion. So their names are inspired by L. Frank Baum. Their they their they their legs have been you know taken by the shrouded man. Um and they were buried when Cantor first meets and they were buried up to their waists. And that is um, a direct reference to Dante's Inferno. And one of the layers um, where Dante goes, there's giants that basically pick him up, him and Virgil up um, to go to the next thing, the next layer, mm -hmm. and they're buried up to their waist. So that was a direct reference. But then their personalities were inspired by um, Waldorf and Statler from the Muppets. That's yes. Yeah, that's exactly. I could the see that 100. <laughs> We're Adam and I are definitely the Ba and the Fra of Homo Superior, so <laughs> that's why we both uh, we both really resonated there. It's like we love each other, but we hate each other. But we love each other, you know. Drive each other uh, crazy, but oh we're yeah, be driving there together. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. The great thing about uh, Kanto, you know, I was reading it. Um, is I have friends who have kids who are like you know between like five and ten. And I'm always looking for uh, specifically comic books to get them addicted. And it's like, this is such a great book. Like I've given them, you know, Bone or Nimona. And it's like, you know, that kind of like high fantasy stuff that's sort of Tolkien-esque, you know, uh, Wizard of Oz-esque, I think is totally great. And I can, I was already envisioning like what the uh, adaptation would look like, you know, whether it's on Amazon or Netflix or whatever. I would love like a Jim Henson-esque sort of dark crystal, like with the like dark puppets. Uh, but, you know, if it's animated, that's fine too. But uh, it's hopefully definitely, that gets to happen. I mean, I don't know. I don't, you know, you can never say never, but um, it's we're definitely talking about the animation mm -hmm. at this point. Um, but yes, those, all of those Jim Henson, Dark Crystal, um, Labyrinth, Neverending Story, um, Secret of Nim, that's... That's the feel I want to recapture because I think there is such a wonderful opportunity here. If you can toe the line exactly right, you get the nostalgia of mm -hmm. people who aren't parents and you get kids who want to jump on board this new cool thing with this new cool character, a new cool story. So if we can capture that, that, um, that feel of the 80s fantasy, for a new generation, I think that's that's where we're gonna hit that sweet spot, and you know, piece of cake, right? Easy. <laughs> well, I, I, again, well, I think you're checking it off the list. I think you're doing a great job of it. Yeah. So moving on from all ages to a very adult series, um, Killer <laughs> Queens, which is how we were introduced uh, to your work, David, uh, uh, by Clark, who's one of our one of our uh, uh, folks on Hobosphere, and like is probably our most exploratory member, I should say. Um, my first question is, was the original name for Killer Queens Fuck Rogers? And if not, why not? That's so good. I never thought of that. Yay, we got one on you. We got one yes. on you. Did I tell you what That's I our royalty. though? Did no, please, that, please. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, also good. Or Flesh Gordon could be another way too, but I think that was an actual Flash parody. Gordon. That's a real porno. <laughs> that's, that's, why real I porno. Like, that's why I like Guardians of the Galaxy because I'm like, everybody knows the tone of Guardians of the Galaxy and you say that yeah. and you're like, oh, we're doing gays in, gays in space. I, I brought my pin <laughs> just for you guys. Can you see it? I More love it. space 
gays. Um, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people ask me all the time, uh, like, what's your, what's your sort of through line for everything? So you got Canto, which is an all ages, um, all ages fairy tale. And then you've got um, Killer Queens, which is an adult queer comedy. And then you have um, Firefly, which is, you know, a space, space opera and Rain, which is horror. And it's like, what's the through line? That's what they ask. What's the through line? Um, and it's about passion for telling the story, to be honest with you. It's just, I felt so passionate about telling this, this, this space romp with Killer Queens. I wanted to do an LGBTQ comic because, you know, as I'm, I'm proceeding in the industry, I want to have that representation and I don't feel like it's enough to be behind the page sort of representing it and throwing characters in. So I wanted to really embrace it with a series. And so we brought together this all LGBTQ creative team to create, like I said, Guardians of the Galaxy. And as soon as I got the title, Killer Queens, as soon as I got the characters, I'm like, I freaking love this. I love it. So that, you know, I sort of embraced it. And that's sort of what I do with every story that I write. If I don't love it to the bottom of my heart, then I don't know if I want to do it. So that's why Killer Queens exists. That's why Canto exists. And, you know, that's how I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep shouting it from the rooftops. These are the stories I love. And I hope you love them too. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, we, we, certainly, we certainly do. And when you talk about your through line of all the various things uh, that you work on, um, I'll just say this at Home of Superior. We love it when people are averse. Uh, so, um, but uh, I'm sorry, that was a really bad joke. I just had hey, to it's a gay that. podcast. That's what we're supposed to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, terrible, you know, it's that, it's that, it's that, it's that, um, the career journey from the bottom to the top, right? There you go, and uh, up and down and flip it around. Uh, but I will say, uh, and I was starting to, I was starting to read it. As I was, when I first read, uh, like, the first issue uh, last fall, uh, like, when you're introduced to Max, like, he's, you know, hooking up with a guy in a bathroom, and I was like, that's me? That's my friends? That's, you know, my life? And it's, like, it's, un it's not, it's, like, we have a lot of queer representation, and, like, we talk about this a lot on Homo Superior, um, you know, we're really glad, like, for example, like, the MCU is finally, like, actually having gay characters, queer characters, like in Eternals, I don't know if you saw it, you saw Fastos' oh, yeah, husband yeah. and a kid. That was the best scene in the movie. Yeah. Oh, when when What's-His-Face goes, oh, what, did you make this table out of vibranium? <laughs> no. Or 2007, it's whatever. Fall, yeah. It's fall collection, Ikea, ass. Yeah. Fastos, um, he's, my, he's my boy. <laughs> he's so good. And, and the actor who plays him, uh, whose name is escaping me at the moment, is so wonderful, but what I'm trying to make is like the queer representation we see in nerdy culture is it's very chaste and it was really refreshing seeing it's like, oh, this is a comic for adults. You know, uh, as adults, this is what we do or some of us do. And it's like, it's unapologetic and it was just great. And the only thing is like, unlike Kanto, after the four issues, I was like, oh, we're done. Like, I want more. So I want to, we want to know like what's next for, for Max and Alex. Just the, the, the universe is the limit, right? Um, or why is it, what would you like to see, I guess, more than anything else? Yeah. Like, do, you want to, do you want to write more in this world, essentially? 
Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> um, yes, and I, it's a little early in the process to do a lot of big reveals, but I will tell you and everyone listening and everybody who picks up Killer Queens is um, this is not the end of their adventures. I think there's right. going to be a lot more adventures and I think we're going to be very, I think you're going to be very excited in what's going to be happening with Killer Queens in many different ways. I, I'm, so, I'm sorry I'm being so cryptic. No, you're doing character. great. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if, you're, if you want more Killer Queens, I, I can tell you that you're very likely going to get a lot more Killer Queens. So keep that in mind and pick up your first issues. Didn't hear that uh, from well, me. I, I think we can say that it was nominated for a GLAD award. Uh, that's actually not a question, but hooray. That's fantastic. Right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you win. We, we also got, um, it also got nominated for a gaming award, G-A-Y-M-I-N-G, which is a UK oh. um, queer like video games, game awards, and they have a comics category and we got oh. nominated on that. So it's like just racking up the accolades, right? Just bring, bring them, bring them on. Um, no, we were very, we were very, uh, very happy, surprised, sort of taken aback by the GLAAD Media Award um, nomination for best comic. <clears throat> and it's, it, 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 it's so wonderful to see because I think this was, unfortunately to say it in the world we live in, but I think this was a bold decision by Dark Horse For to sure. put this book out. And I think there is still a long way to go for the Wednesday Warrior single issue comics readers to really dive in and embrace something like this. Um, the trade is coming out on April 20th and it's going to be really, really fascinating for me to see Honestly, you go to the comic shops on Wednesday and you see a bunch of middle-aged cishet, cishet dudes going through the big two stuff and buying them off the shelf. And then you go into Barnes and Noble or you go into the indie bookstores and you see a lot of queer kids perusing the manga and the graphic novel section. And it's just such a different um, reader base that's going to be really fascinating to see once it gets collected and it's in that trade and it goes into Barnes and Noble and it goes into the indie bookshops, the queer bookshops and with those sections, um, what kind of different audience we're going to be able to bring to this fun story. Well, you bring up a great yeah. point because it's, there's such a natural explosion, I think of younger generations really picking up on culture that has finally become the art forms they're supposed to be. So video games, drag comics, like, Obviously, again, we're all kind of 70s, 80s babies like this. We were still, you know, I, like I was totally cool in high school, but it wasn't like there wasn't this like everyone just doing this. Kind of, like, oh, was, how, oh, how nice. <laughs> how good for you. <laughs> I was a very I've seen pictures. You were being cool very. Sorry, I meant I meant fat in high school. I meant fat, not cool. But uh, no, it was like I just think it's very. It's amazing to watch because even like my niece and nephew, like with MCU exploding, like we've gotten so many more people, obviously just into nerddom that you know there's obviously varied layers and varied types, but it's just really nice to see. It's like it's a. It, it really can be an all ages activity, and these things are really creative artwork and like art forces. And I think that's so great that, that you're, you're taking that perspective. And I would agree with it because yeah, I think we're on the right well, track, it feels like. I hope so. Well, 
Well, Adam was talking about, you know, 70s, 80s babies. I mean, I'm old enough to remember being excited for like Alpha Flight number 106 or 107 when Northstar came out where he's screaming in that Rob Layfield S artwork, I'm gay, and being thrilled that, that, that we finally got there. And then after that, it was, you know, some like, like stuff during Vertigo, like Sandman and some of those series in the 90s. That was the only representation we're getting in comics. The fact that we're getting it, you know, here in Killer Queens, but also in, you know, other properties, both um, both from the big two, but also from Dark Horse and Image and some of these other companies, I think is absolutely wonderful. It is. I, I mean, it's still, there's still, it's still buried, you know, it's kind of like, especially with the big two. I mean, they've done a lot of uh, good strides and they did the pride, pride issues and that's wonderful and they should yeah. keep doing it. Um, but like what Alpha Play you were talking about way back, you know, back then, it's like they slip it in. It's like the, the who was it recently um, in the DC on the last page and he came out as, he, he may have come out as bi. bi. Oh, or is it, uh, is it uh, or Superman? Or, or Superman, yeah. son of Superman, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you have to, it, it's still like you're slipping it under the door and it's not open yet. And I think every time there's like a Killer Queens that comes out or, or all these other queer books, you know, the, the whole list that's nominated by in the GLAAD Awards, it, it, it pushes the door open more. Um, but I think the next step after my experience putting out Killer Queens, the next step is um, the audience, get, getting audience buy-in and getting the audience to follow you on these stories. Because one of the strategies that I did with Killer Queens is, yes, it's unabashedly queer comic book, and I brought together an LGBTQ creative team to make it, but I didn't want to make a story that was a, a, a queer story. It was, you know, Buck Rogers and Barbarella, and, you know, they happen to be queer, but they're doing the same kind of wacky adventures that Conan did and, and um, you know, uh, you know, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and all these other, you know, space adventures they did that and we're just plugging in some queer characters and making sure that that's not a hidden thing and i've heard from readers it's kind of a backhanded compliment but i'll take it for readers are like yeah i know it's you know there's there's they're lgbtq characters and um they're gay characters but you know i i i enjoyed it as a space adventure and i'm like oh so despite cool that, <laughs> Like, but also i will take it progress these are yeah. cishead dudes coming yeah. in and saying i liked it for space adventure i'm like good come for the space adventure and stay for the blatant homosexuality well it's like cooking Love the it. frog right you're like we're, well for you it's probably 100 degrees like 500 degrees immediately when you read killer queens but at the very least it's like it's getting people further and further into dipping their toe with just general comfort with like understanding and experiences that are not their own and that's great like and that's okay yeah yeah david thanks so much for advancing the gay agenda uh the checks in the mail uh and also can we celebrate that the uh the trade paperback is coming out in 420 just want to just want to point that out because i think <laughs> somebody pointed that out somebody okay, pointed that right. out on twitter and i'm just like i am so innocent i guess because i'm like oh april 20th it Wait. actually got pushed it was going to be march and it got pushed a month um for printer reasons and it they landed on um on april 20th and uh, I can you like it. say you have to like you have to say the full month you're always like well april 20th it's not 420 i can't 
I I write for children. <laughs> Somebody uh, did tweet about it and they're like, yeah, it would pair very nice with a such and such. And I was like, what is that? And then I started looking at the context. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's, you guys, that's marijuana. <laughs> well, I never. Uh, I never. Well, uh, our resident horror fan so i want to turn it over to him to talk uh, a little about rain which the second issue just came out yes that's right your newest darling it's a comic adaptation of joe hill's short story rain um same question as before but a little bit more fun how would you describe the book to someone who's living under a bus avoiding the crystal needles raining from above oh well you just spoiled it right (laughs) um No, it starts out on a beautiful sunny day in Boulder, Colorado, and Honeysuckle Speck is thrilled because the love of her life, Yolanda, is about to move in, and they're about to start their lives together, and the skies are blue, the birds singing, everybody in the neighborhood is outside, just having a great old time. Yolanda rolls up with her mom to move in uh, to Honeysuckle's apartment, and some dark clouds roll in, and I think it's just going to be a little bit of, um, you know, August showers, summer showers. But instead of water, the sky rains down crystal needles about the size of your thumb. And while Honeysuckle just through happenstance is undercover, Yolanda and her mom are not. And Honeysuckle watches as this crystal rain um, tears uh, Yolanda, the love of her life, tears her out of her life and kills her. 8,000 people across Boulder, Colorado are killed in this crystal downpour. And the story becomes, as you will see, what's next for Honeysuckle? as this phenomenon, phenomenon starts to spread across the world. So people sometimes say it's an apocalypse story featuring the love between these two women. I say it's a love story that happens to be set during the apocalypse. Love it. And I can probably tell that it might've been your Stephen King reading, but like what really attracted you to the story and wanting to, to write it? Well, you know, it's an adaptation of Joe. I'm going to pull out something from my um, handy dandy bag of tricks. This Rain is an adaptation of Joe Hill's novella in Strange Weather of the same name, Rain. And as you can see, I've only read it and highlighted it and tabbed it like a a million billion times. Um, So I read it and I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. I love Joe Hill's work. and this story resonated with me so much. It was so visual and this relationship just felt like it was such a driving force. And I, and I like stories like Bird Box and a Quiet Place mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and these new apocalypse stories where apocalypse is really terrifying, but it's kind of secondary to a, a character emotional in A Quiet Place. It's about family. And it's about loss and about moving on and, and protecting the ones you love. In Bird Box, it's about parenthood and what it means to be a parent um, and what you'll do for your children. I think, you know, Quiet Quiet Place has that too. But just that idea that the driving force for the narrative, the plot is is character and not The Walking Dead. It's not survival. It is, but it's not. And that's what I thought Rain had in spades. It was about this relationship between the two of them. And so I loved every second of it. Um, and I was able to, Chris Ryle uh, is the editor on it. He was formerly with uh, Skybound and IDW as editor-in-chief. Mm-hmm. He started his new imprint at uh, Image Comics called Syzygy Publishing. And this is their first book that he's published. And um, 
you know, he's very good friends with Joe Hill based on um, Lock and Key. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just so happened that I got to be friends with Chris. There was an opportunity to adapt this. We were able to get Joe's buy-in um, on my sort of vision of what it could be as a comic. And um, yeah, so the rest is history. Issue one came out in January. Issue two came out um, very recently. Uh, and so far people are really digging it, which is really wonderful. And it's fascinating to me because it's not your typical apocalypse story. And to see folks sort of gravitate toward it. I think it has, a lot of it has to do with um, uh, the artist on Rain, Zoe Thurgood, and Chris O'Halloran right. on colors. Just beautiful. And just, it's a different, it's different. I think comics are, are so much of the same. And this is very different. I think people are starting to respond to that. Well, it feels very like, uh, too, even in like, to this point of like sort of like neo apocalypse stories like you've even got like um the leftovers and then i forget there was just some there was just the miniseries on hbo and station 11 station 11 which i i just read the book and watched the show um yeah it's that it's that station 11 is a perfect example because it's it's a virus that kills 99 percent of the population but it's not it's not about the virus it's about how do you, how you pick up the pieces after that happens and that to me is far more fascinating than trying to shoot a zombie in the head yeah no i mean your spot i i think to your point they it's typically always like the humans were the problem the whole time but like that's not really that exciting when you still have thousands and thousands of lumbering dead people outside your wall right. whereas like this sort of after effect of these mega events how do you pick up the pieces I think is is really like what people want to see and hear nowadays, and not just because we're living in a somewhat post, you know, late stage capitalism dystopia. But that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's in the in the the difference with like Rain and Station Eleven, and even as compared to Bird Box and The Quiet Place, is the the threat the the apocalyptic threat is essentially avoidable. Like you can, you don't have to like be fighting for survival. You can get undercover every yeah. time you think there's mm-hmm. the rain's going to come. You know, as long as you don't get exposed to the virus in Station Eleven, you can you can move on, move forward. And it's like, what does moving forward look like? And that's different for every person who survives the rain and rain. And this is just honeysuckle speck and how her world was turned upside down, and now what she's going to do in the face of this apocalyptic situation um, to hold on to something that is meaningful. Well, on the topic of adaptations, uh, we actually have a Twitter question from Chris Hacker. Uh, so Hacker. what do you have to hack? <laughs> These all your friends are just, they're helping you out big time and helping us out big time too. Ask uh, the second question first. <laughs> Well, we just want to that's know. That's coming up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's coming up in our bonus our bonus round. Uh, what's the deal with Firefly? Obviously, you know, let's talk about that and what you're doing there. Sure. Here we go. Well, this was, so back in um, September, I, I, I had the, well, I guess I'll back up a little bit because I don't know if you can see above my head. Yes. Firefly, Firefly, my Firefly Funko Pops. Love it. 
I am such a huge, huge, huge Firefly fan. It's my favorite sci-fi franchise. And I know there's some fraught things with Firefly and Buffy and all those things right now. But we're gonna <laughs> yeah, put that oh, aside. Yeah. We'll leave that, we'll leave that to the side. We'll focus on your <laughs> I feel like there's a 20-year rule that if it's 20 yep. years old, you can probably separate the art from the artist and you'll probably be okay. I don't know. I'm probably going to get some hay mail for that, but that's okay. At least it means I'm getting mail. <laughs> um, but I love Firefly <laughs> and I loved the original show. And um, to get the opportunity to to write to write a story of that universe and, and, and you know sit with these characters is amazing. So in September with Boom Studios, I got to um, write a, a single issue one shot called Firefly River Run, which is uh, about Simon's quest to um if anybody's an nes fan um oh yeah yeah, yeah. Castlevania yes. too. So simon's yeah. quest um uh simon's quest to uh, break river out of the academy and get her smuggled onto from osiris onto persephone onto serenity and right when the show starts in that pilot episode they take the lid out mal mm. takes the lid off the crate and you see that it's river inside this is the story leading up to how simon was able to get her there and off into the outer, the rim planets on Serenity. Okay. So it's an untold bit of Firefly story and I got to tell it. So that segues me into really exciting. Um, all new Firefly is launching. I don't know when this is gonna air, but uh, launching in February. Um, that's this with, month. <laughs> that's <laughs> this <laughs> month. <laughs> All new Firefly number one, and I'm going to be writing a long form story uh, uh, with the with the Serenity crew as it's currently constituted in the uh, comics continuity, sort of after the show, after the movie. Um, and to get to tell a long story has been really, I mean, it's like just check it off your bucket list, right? Amazing. So, that, no, that's so cool. I uh, I was also a big Firefly fan. I was one of the few people that watched it on Fox when the episodes aired out of order. Uh And you're like, I like this, but I don't know what's happening. And then as soon as the DVD came out, uh, the, you know, uh, the box set came out, I was like, first one, like, you know, at Best Buy or whatever, like buying it to make sure I I could see it. So super, super thrilled that uh, you're going to be doing this. And um, the fact that you're doing a long form story, which I didn't realize just until you mentioned it, uh, that I'm now even more excited. It's ten issues plus a plus an oversized um, issue Love it. finale. So I don't even know if I'm allowed to share that information, but here we are. You heard it here um, first. <laughs> we've already it's already out. Uh, four, I think issue four or something is solicited. So, um, and I'm just I've written so much of it already that I'm just I'm hoping it all goes according to plan. Right? You never complain for these things. Um, but yeah, it's the Serenity crew sort of. Um, low on supplies, low on fuel. They um, follow a rumor to an uncharted planet called Requiem. And uh, it's a smuggler's planet and it's off the grid. So they think, oh, there's going to be plenty of stuff there uh, to take uh, without an Alliance presence because it's sort of unknown um, to almost everybody. It's not any star charts. And when they get there, they certainly find out that things aren't quite what they had anticipated. What? What? Publications arise. Wow. Okay. Hijinks ensue. 
I love it. I did. I mean, so now, yeah, with Rain and with the Firefly books, like you and obviously both passion projects for you in some way, like what, what does make the adaptation, writing adaptations different than doing your own creative content from scratch? Do you like one more than the other? Do you like them both for different reasons? What's, uh, what's on your mind with that? Um, I, I think, again, it's about passion for telling the story. When we, we all are the most, we're, we're always the most passionate about the things that we think of. If you've ever been in an argument with anybody, you know that <laughs> what you think is the best part of that conversation. Um, so, you know- Kaylin, do you hear that? Did you hear that? Like maybe <laughs> internalize that a little. <laughs> I think that's true Let's for all five in. of us. All true for all five of us on the podcast. Get Fran oh, yeah. Bob back out here. Sorry, dude. I mean, yeah, there you but go. You're, you're, you know, you're always the most passionate about your own ideas. So, um, it, so that's fun to then pursue them to the, their ends, whatever they might be, whether it's comics, TV, film, um, book, prose, fiction, whatever. Uh, so, so you're always going to be passionate about that. With adaptations, I found um, it's, I haven't had this, ha- had this happen to me yet where somebody just sort of out of the blue has, has approached me to adapt some sort of you know, major character that I just don't know that much about. Mm-hmm. But with Firefly, I made it very known that I would love to write that. With Rain, I, you know, I pursued it. I, I, I wanted to adapt it, so I made it happen because I loved it so much. Um, and that's what I think makes adaptations really good uh, is if the, the person adapting it just viscerally responds to the story and understands the core of it, what you're going for. Um, with Firefly, for me, it was hearing these characters talk to each other, the nine crew members pairing them off and putting them in twos and threes and rooms. And, you know, I, I know their personality, so they know how they'll react to each other, what their perspectives are going to be, and to be able to and, and to have the passion to create those new scenes that I want to see in the season two of Firefly or season three, or season 10 of Firefly. Uh, that's what I think drew me toward that adaptation. Rain, I love the story, that adaptation. So uh, the the nuts and bolts of it, I, I don't know. It's you find the core of the story for an adaptation and you pursue it. Like I said about Rain, it's not an apocalyptic story about two women in love. It's a, a love story set during an apocalypse. And finding that kernel of that story, you can tell the story in comics as long as that's your that's your through line. That's your like lodestar that you're going toward. And I think that's that's what you see. And I think that's what I mean. I'm hoping based on people's reaction, I think we're we're we're, we're getting there. So yeah, no, no, agreed. So you mentioned, you know, where you're talking about, you know, your through line, even though there's a lot of diversity in your, uh, a lot of the work that we've just talked about, um, you know, and it's, a lot of it is adventure fiction, which is, you know, you've got action, fisticuffs, but something I noticed, and then mostly in Kanto, is your protagonists tend to look for nonviolent solutions first. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I know it doesn't always happen in all your stuff, but it's something that I picked up on, but um, well, Ma- you know, Max begs a lot in Killer Queens. They're like constantly make, he makes out. out with guys, you know. Yeah. Wow, I didn't. That's a, that's a new one for me. I yeah, I'm I'm conflict avoidance. Isn't that funny? As an as an attorney, I'm trained as an attorney, and I don't like conflict. <laughs> but with Canto in particular, 
we created a character that's three feet tall. If he was standing here and he would be the, the, the size of a six-year-old basically. Um, and so you have to figure out as a tiny little person, how to deal with these big, huge threats in your world that are not, that you're not gonna be able to physically manipulate. You're not gonna be able to physically overcome them. So you gotta find other ways. And then, um, I, and, and Killer Queens, I think fighting is fun, but trying your best to avoid fighting is funny. <laughs> so I, I, I think there's a lot more opportunity for um, funny scenes if you've got characters who really don't want to fight. And of course, they, you see them fight and they'll do it. And I think Alex in particular is like, yeah, let's just kick their asses. Um, <laughs> And Max is like, nah, let me see. Kiss their asses. Then <laughs> kiss their asses. Yeah, he says he does his best work on his knees, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, and you see it, so it works. Um, yeah, so, but I think that's just another thing that people say about a lot of my work is that it's there's, there's a sensitivity to it. And I think that's just me, my personality seeping through onto the page, just um, the emotion, the emotionality. I'm not an emotion, I'm not a emo like overly <laughs> emotional person, but I'm, I say, there's a sensitivity. Um, there's a sensitivity that I have and I think. So everyone's never, an empath these days, David, I get it. <laughs> well, and it's, I guess, yeah. Yeah, no, but I, I, I hear what you're saying because I, I, I resonate with that a lot. Like I, I get other people's emotions and I like thinking through them, talking about them, but it is very hard to get me to express anything besides uh, like a goofy idiot. Like, that's just <laughs> an easy, easy hiding. Well, and another thing that I've learned in comics too is if you give people just any sort of reason to feel anything at all, um, then you're going to be successful. And whether that's fear or sadness or, um, you know, anxiety, apprehension, laughing, you know, fun. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all, if you make them feel anything, then you're in, I think the top 10% of comics. So. Yeah, no, that's good. Which actually does segue. Force that you got to force that. Force them. Make them emotional feel. manipulation. <laughs> That's the secret. I think, yeah, but I will say across your your books, I think there's a there's a authenticity to much of the emotion. I think in all of the books I all your your stuff I've read so far, there is a it feels worth it and it feels earned. Like whether you have like the you know multiple multiple volumes and issues of Kanto or even just the four issues of Killer Queen and even the two issues of Rain so far. I think you really do bring out, like you were saying, particularly for Rain, like you get within issue one, you get the relationship, you get the connection. It's that devastating in just like a couple of pages. So um, I feel like I'm constantly like, you're doing so great. <laughs> Keep it up. But I do think you're very, like, God, yeah. no pressure. Well, yeah. I'm just trying to make, I was like, I'm, you know, everyone's got to eat. So I just want to make you feel good that again, you made the right decision. I think you're very much on the right track of where you're going with, uh, with writing versus corporate hellscape lawyering. So. <laughs> well, and you know, I got to, I got a, a, a few, some things coming down the pike and um, there's one series in particular that I think is going to be sort of a spiritual 
um, successor to Rain. It's my own original idea, but it's gonna have, it's um, one of my favorite movies is Stand By Me. And, you know, I love Stephen King. It's based on the body, a novella by Stephen mm -hmm. King from different seasons, uh, his collection. Uh, but what resonated with me in um, Stand By Me, the movie, is the uh, how it's, it's a coming of age movie, but it's removed. It's like, a, it's because it's about an adult looking back at this situation, at this, these events that happen. And it so resonated with me because time just marches on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I don't want to get too, you know, deep and philosophical, but time marches on and everything that happens is in, is in the past. And so to think about that and how it's sort of affected you as an adult is really was profound to me. And so I'm going to take that, just completely rip it off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do, I do love that, that, that uh, storytelling device of an adult sort of thinking back to something that happened. Um, and telling a, a little, it's a little magical realism story that's going to be told from the perspective of an adult, but about um, two kids in oh, high wow. school. Well, I was going to say, have you watched uh, Yellow Jackets at all? Because that's another sort of flashback, flash forward of like, a, oh. you know, what's it happening in adult situations? And it's, it's very, I, I, wanna, I don't think I'm Stephen King aficionado enough to say it's exactly like Stephen King, but it does, it fits a very like it mold where they're kind of juggling okay. back and forth between what's happening in the past and present. Yeah, the high concept um, is very like it meets Lost, like the show from the mid 2000s. Cool. Uh, so uh, definitely check it out. It's, it feels like an image comic series. I mentioned this on our podcast last week. Uh, it feels like an image comic series that already went to adaptation and the, the series never came out. It just went straight to Showtime. That's so, uh, so definitely, definitely watch it. Um, I mean, that's so, what we're going to be seeing. We're, we're going to see that. That's going to be the next iteration of everything. It's going to be like TV show and comic at the same time and then TV show and then comic. For sure. And, yeah. Is this the I mean, metaverse I've been hearing so much about? Is that how it works? Oh my gosh, stop. <laughs> In the 2000s, we called it the Matrix, but... Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, seriously. Um, talking a little bit more about, like, getting into your your personal ideas and what you like, what you don't like, and just your general life, too. Kind of like a good transition for us. It's like, whether it's the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, this, like, zooming in and enhancing, or the student becoming the teacher, there are genre fiction tropes everywhere. Are there any that you absolutely hate that you would never use in any of your stories? And we'll hold you to hate? it. We'll keep watching. Yeah. Oh, I don't. Dis you know, sorry, dislike. <laughs> no, no. And, then, and it's not even that I dislike. It's to me, it's all about execution. You, there is a million stories out there about um, kids whose parents have died. A million stories out there, and there are really good ones, and there are really terrible ones. So I don't hate the concept of a kid whose parents have died or, you know, parents losing a child early. I don't hate any of those things. I, I dislike some of the execution of those stories. So um, I guess that's what I would say is I would <laughs> never take anything off the table, especially not and on public record. So that then next time I'm on the show, you guys will come back and say, 
You hate when parents are dead, and look at these 14 stories you've written about dead parents. I can't wait you to can cut this You can take the lawyer in. out of the job, and you can never take the <laughs> job take out, the of the job out of the lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to come to like uh, Comic-Con like five years from now and kick in the door where you're doing a Q&A and being like, you lied. You said you would Just like throw the comic right in my, right onto the dais where I'm sitting. <laughs> be like, how dare you? This guy's a big phony. You yeah, have no, answer. That's a very good answer. Well, and I was gonna say to your point too, like when we talk about obviously all of us, like we said, very, very into like that nostalgic energy that I think a lot of 80s media brought. And like, it is very trippy, but like to your point, you can make it still very good, very fresh and very entertaining, no matter if you have that history or not. So as um, long as you have the self-reflection to realize that there have been a million stories that have to been been told about this very thing, and you sort of keep that in your mind as you're going forward with Canto, with all my, with everything I do, but in particular Canto, when I first started out with it, like the end of the first volume, I'm not gonna spoil it for anybody, but there is a very projected, predictable end to that story. And I recognized it. I'm like, we've seen this a million times. and. It, Everybody's going to know this is going to happen. So I don't want to do that. I want to do what's, and then I think what's 180 degrees. What's the exact opposite of doing that? And I'm like, well, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to figure out a way to make it work. And so every time there's a scene that I think about our characters making choices, I'm like, mm, I've seen that a bunch of times. What if the character made the opposite choice? And then I think, oh, well, I've never seen that. So how is that going to play out? And so it's that hundred you know, I'll call it the 180 degree rule. Look at everything that you do when you're writing. And if you think you've seen it before, do the exact opposite of it and see where that takes you. Well, David, I'm gonna throw a little, I'm gonna throw a little oh. shade right now, not at you, but uh, can Lucasfilm hire you pronto? Because the next Star Wars show needs that because I don't know if you watch Book of Boba Fett, but there were times where there were like, three oh, episodes. Wait. There were three, the Mandalorian season three, when they finally started airing that. Great. That was great. Great. The rest of it. I was <laughs> but like, you know why? You know why? Yeah. It was because we, it was because we cared about the character. We cared about what he was doing. They built up in the, the Mandalorian seasons that, um, that essentially that unexpected, but un, almost unbreakable relationship between Grogu and the Mandalorian. And so as soon as we saw him, we're like, I wonder how they're I'm doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> how, how are they doing? The thing with Boba Fett for me was um, you put him in where it was in most Espa mm -hmm. was where it was, where he was the kingpin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you sat back for one second and you thought, do I give a crap whether or not Boba Fett runs this town? No. If, if they would have put some Lord, where's the crime? What crime was he committing? Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. And the flip side of it, well, if he's if he, it's not him, it's somebody else. And so, yeah. of course, they tried to build it up that he was with the Sand People, and you know, the Sand People, the the Wookiees bad, and the Sand People are good. And it's like we're in Bizarro World now. I don't know what's going on. Um, but just having, even if the in the first episode you saw him do something really, really good for the people of Mos Espa. And you think, okay, so if he doesn't run this town and somebody really bad is going to, then maybe we'd be invested. But instead, 
We got what we got. Well, we got they wanna, some really great episodes in there. I was like, they just really want to sell toys. So I completely well, understand. Well, <laughs> well, since I was mean, I'm going to be nice now. So Valentine's Day was just a few days ago. Um, how did you spend it with your husband, David? Your pictures are adorable, <laughs> by the way, on, on, on the same, Instagram and social media. Yeah. The same thing we have done the last two years pinky (laughs) (laughs) take over the Um, world i love it yeah take over the world um yeah we we stayed home i made a um whole chicken for the first time in the slow cooker and it turned out to be really nice and then um steve my husband makes excellent excellent homemade ice cream and gelato and sorbet and so you know what season it is it's Girl Scout cookie season, mm. so everybody can eat their hearts out as I am enjoying my um, vanilla Thin Mint homemade ice cream. That it sounds was absolutely delicious. Amazing. Love it. Amazing. Um, I do have a, this is going to be a bit of a reach, so we'll see where this goes. On the note of an extremely gay and extremely campy quality we did a little digging and found out that you were a producer of the short film honeydew list a handyman story yes <laughs> for, for those that don't know i'm so, i had to like i wanted to like put it out there just oh to make sure God. that it was you uh it's streaming now on deku via amazon prime for anyone interested for those that don't know honeydew list tells the story of walter whose honeydew list piles up and when his husband is too busy to do the fixes a new sexy handyman arrives with an agenda that isn't exactly on Walter's fix-it list. Can Walter resist this new temptation? Uh, would you speak more on the actual handyman universe? Because I found out there's a movie before that. Yes! Before this. <laughs> you, you, you think that's a deep cut, but oh my God, I'm so happy to talk about it because it, my best friend is Nicholas Downs and he is the writer and director of both The Handyman yes. and Honeydew List. Um, and I was on set for both of them. They're these really sweet, um, cute, short films. One is about, and he stars in both of them. Mm-hmm. And the first, The Handyman, is about this sort of insecure Walter who calls to get something fixed. And this really hot-ass handyman comes over. And then the whole short film is about him breaking stuff in his house. So the handyman has to keep coming by to try to sort of seduce him a little bit. It's really cute, really funny. And then Honeydew List is the sequel. And I hope someday we get the third in the um, shared, the, the handyman shared <laughs> universe. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I did hear, just, I, I heard you're going to show, it's going to show up in Multiverse of Madness. Is that true? Can you confirm it here? On oh my God, is the sexy new handyman <laughs> is Dr. Strange. <laughs> Would watch, would watch. All right, and so then we're gonna play... like Thor pops in by you know by accident, and they look at each other, and I... then Walter Walter pushes Doctor Strange back through his portal. He's like, "I'm good," and Thor they... is the only one left. <laughs> I mean, they, we're not shitting you. Like these people are very hot. So if that's all you ever need, just go watch the movie. But I did. It was funny to watch the Honey Do List because I was like, "Oh, did you to watch your it?" Point, yeah, 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 of course I did. That's cute. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's really cute, and I loved it because it was like to watching the the honeydew list it was like the complete opposite of what i expected what you were saying before so i'm like oh this is actually really enjoyable and then it was just really funny because at the end i thought it was like just like a cute twist and i was like oh shit there's an entire other movie where that did actually happen that's amazing yeah so if you watch them both together it becomes this really cute little sequence of poor walter and his handyman seduction that doesn't go according to plan 
Well, we're going to do, we're coming towards the end of our inter- interview slash conversation, uh, which makes me really sad because I've had a really great time. Hope you have too, David. Um, nah. So we're going to do a quick round of uh, your favorite. <laughs> I'm uh, just of- kidding. That's <laughs> only three years. I was like, uh, uh, what do I say? Okay, all right. It's gone like okay. 30 minutes too long. It's been rough, guys. No, I'm just kidding. He's Please. holding up a sign that says, get me out of here. Please call my agent. <laughs> <laughs> send okay. send help <laughs> all right okay okay so let's just do, let's let's play favorites um favorite horror movie oh my god <laughs> one up let's that... play one of your favorite <laughs> ah, you're gonna put me on the spot and i'm gonna get totally dragged for this but i love the original nightmare on elm street that's great oh it's wonderful it's a classic uh, Wrong answer. Next question. <laughs> oh my god! No. In, in can I do a second? Which is the it? The first? The first uh, new one from 2017. It was just that was a masterpiece. Yeah. So anyway, and the sequel was so not great, but the first one was awesome. <laughs> um, we'll just talk about the movie. first one. Okay. Uh, favorite sci-fi movie. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> does this count? I think this. Oh damn. Oh my gosh, you're putting me on the spot so much. Um, uh, you get clear that lawyer energy, just whatever the first thing that comes to mind. What are you What are you thinking of? It's not my favorite, but I don't know. I'll, you, you liked it enough to think about fifth, it. First. Fifth element. Let's say fifth element. Oh yeah, good choice. Multipass, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> and then favorite? I will say one movie that fits into both those categories. I think, which is Beetlejuice. And it's the first movie that I've ever seen that I ever remember seeing in the movie theater when I was like, oh. that's my favorite Tim Burton movie. Like I remember seeing that too, as a kid, I freaking love it. So good. Perfect. Uh, um, favorite superhero. God, you guys, I don't even think about these things. <laughs> this is great. You're supposed to be reliving your childhood these days, David. Uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say, you know what? This is an X-Men podcast, so I'm going to say Nightcrawler. There we go. That's a great... And actually, it should be, yeah, what is your favorite X-Men character? We're going to just adjust that interview. Yeah. Right uh, favorite video <laughs> game? Um, the original uh, Legend of Zelda on the NES. Mm. Classic. Uh, favorite musician? Alanis Morissette. Nice. I feel like we're doing that... We're going to come next time. We're going to come to your house and walk around with a camera like we're Vogue and just run around your house asking you 99 questions while you (laughs) dance around in your hallways. Just kidding. The Simpsons line What's your favorite book, movie, and food? The answer to all is fried green tomatoes. And that's (laughs) all I'm going to tell you the whole time. Like fried green tomatoes, fried green tomatoes. David, (laughs) if I didn't love you before, I love you now for you doing this. It's in an episode. It's it's, yeah, it is. Um, it's the Manjula it's the Manjula and Apu episode where they get married. I yep. like I know it well. I know it well. Um, and then favorite food, which is fried green tomatoes. So you answered it already. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know I, I have I have it right there. It's um, this is so this is such a weird deep cut, but lightly salted laced potato chips. I will oh. eat five a mm. uh, five. Uh, pound bag of them in one sitting. Oh my gosh. I, next time I see them, because I never buy them, I'm going to say, oh, David likes I, <laughs> What do you I, like I about mentioned... the lightly salted versions? It's the ravages of age, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's, it's, that's definitely like a like a a snack based Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> like I love regular Lay's potato chips, but my body's like, no, no, not that much salt. So I'm like, well, I guess I love Lay lightly. I love Lay's lightly salted potato chips now. I I do hear you because that's I'm the, that way with Diet Coke. I cut out like sugary soda ages ago and now i can't drink shit like any actual full shot all i can drink is diet because every i love the watered down taste of this like diet that aspartame had, it's delicious i was like oh somebody i was i think i was on another podcast and i mentioned it and then i came back on the podcast and they had lightly salted laced potato chips and the person on the screen actually ate one and they're like okay <laughs> <laughs> moving on what's your favorite movie let's talk about that so next time i can come on the next episode of our podcast and tell you how much i hated that <laughs> uh, let's let's do a quick very fuck kill lightning round so star wars star trek and dune dune uh well i killed dune i just don't know anything i haven't even watched the the new movie you don't know i have to her. watch it before the Ox- oscars um I'd have to marry Star Trek because 20 years from now, when you're sitting at the dinner table, I feel like Star Trek is going to have a whole lot more to talk to you about than laser swords. So that's what I would do. (laughs) I'd marry Star Trek and I would um, bed Star Wars. I love that you're like, they're sentient beings to you. They have like face. There's like, hey, how was work today? (laughs) It's just... just think i just picture like the star wars fin- or the star trek fanatic sitting across from his husband <laughs> and then his head just turns into the uss enterprise as they're like talking and it's like oh. the, the 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 disc the saucer part is like the mouth <laughs> start talking oh, wow. about the plot of an episode of next gen like are you listening to anything i'm saying i'm like yeah q yes yes i think he's bad too yeah <laughs> Uh, sounds like a family guy <laughs> yes i love it you should be there you go now you can start writing for them too let's do uh breakfast drinks or brunch drink well, breakfast for me mimosas bloody marys and bellinis oh it's got to be a bloody mary but you know that sodium is a problem so <laughs> lightly salted bloody mary lightly salted no i think if you just drink them fast you don't get as much of the sodium that's my that's my method right there uh <laughs> there's no calories in these chips by eating this quick <laughs> I'm burning calories. I'm burning them. <laughs> there you go. It's like celery. Oh, calorie let's, neutral. Go, let's go to the Spider Verse. Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire. Ah, they're all. <laughs> they're all like not in my. They're none of them are in my wheelhouse. So. Oh. Okay. I, uh, what's it's like Eddie Brock. And I don't what. What? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yes. That's a hundred percent lay waste to all of the Spider-Man, the spiders, man, <laughs> the spiders, men. I love that. <laughs> um, and then big finale, Max, Alex and Callisto. Uh, yeah. All together. Sure. <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes. All three, all of those. And no, it's the, it's, um, uh, it's, it's Hawes. It's Hawes from, uh, you wouldn't believe the number of times that i wrote the words thirst trap in the scripts <laughs> in the descriptions and then when i was telling people to do co- you know artists on covers i was like 
draw them like one of your French dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I would like, I would never like chase after someone that's playing hard to get, but like every time that Haas would be like, I'm not interested, I'd be like, no, you've got to try harder. This has to work out. He's so amazing. <laughs> Come on. Um, well, that sadly brings us to the end of our creator crush. David, thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to a very strong multitude of things, including getting high on 420 and reading the Killer Queens trade paperback. Um, you've got so much other stuff going on. Let's talk about where our listeners can find you. And is there anything else you'd like to uh, plug or, or re-talk about? Because I think you've got a lot of good things coming. Well, you know, in the process of uh, recording this podcast, I have definitely deleted all of my social media and I will be withdrawing from public life. <laughs> smart, so, smart. You can find me on Twitter at David Boer. You can find me on Instagram at David M. Boer. You can go to my website, davidboer.com. That needs to be updated. Th please and thank you. Um, and if you're really into it, you can find me on the Facebooks. I, so, I literally no. have been waiting for this interview to just friend you because of Chandler and Chris are friends with you that do um, X Reads podcast and you keep showing up my friends you may know and I'm like, well, I got to talk to him first and then I'll creepily hit add friends right after this. So do it like, you know, I, I always look up whenever I'm doing a meeting and like look up people on, the, on social media <laughs> and I'm always so concerned that I might hit the friend, like the, the friend or the follow or the like button just before the meeting and they'll see it and I'll be like, okay, hey, creepy creepers. <laughs> I do oh, know we're at, I know we're at time, but I do have a question. What does your middle initial stand for? Because originally I thought it was like to prevent all the other David Boers from showing up in feeds. But when you're like, you are the quintessential David Boer in Google. So I just was like, where, like what, your middle name? I'd love to know what it is. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I, it's pretentious. <laughs> Maximilian. It means nothing. It means uh, nothing. No, oh, it's I, Michael. It's uh, Michael. Uh, <laughs> oh, I thought it was gonna be like a Homer J Simpson scenario. It's just J. It's M. It's M. Yeah. E M. Yeah. Like from James Bond. I love it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, no, it's just my. It's just Michael. But I, you know, I, I'll have to think of a good reason why I did that. I just, um, my initials are DMB, so Dave Matthews Band, if you will. I think you want to stay away from that reference. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. I live in the 90s, you guys. There you go. That's fair. Still the 90s. Um, well, we have been Homo Superior. If you love what you heard, uh, listen to us all the time beyond our district created crushes. If you didn't like what you hear, blame it all on David, and that's fine. But... <laughs> How dare you? You won't be able to find me because all those social media accounts delete. Deleted. Uh, we are on Twitter at Homo Superior X, on Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast. If there are other great writers, artists, and all things nerd culturistas you'd like to hear us chat with, make sure to slide into our DMs. We've been Homo Superior. Thank you for listening. Bye. More 